Welcome back. We're the 12 Sided Guys. Matt's here. Hi. And so is Scott. That's me. Jordan is making his presence known. Salutations. And Sabrina is in the house. Hey there. <laughs> and me, Paul, I never left because I live here. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was so bad, guys. Yeah. Anyway, we're glad that we make your day just a little bit better. At least I'm assuming that we do. That we do, right? Tell you we what, make my we'll day make better, you a deal. Paul. Way better? <laughs> well, we'll Way make better. you a deal. <laughs> if we don't... Way we... better. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so much better. All right. Well, anyway, we'll make you a deal. If we don't make your day any better, then you can stop listening to us right now. And if we do make your day better, then you can help make someone else's day better by spreading the word. You can do it with ratings, reviews, and just chit-chatting with people on the street. What? You can check out our Patreon as well and get some extra goodies. Also, don't forget Fanex is coming up September 22nd through the 24th, 2022. And the 12 Sided Guys will be there. Fanex is in Salt Lake City. So if you live in the Intermountain West or you want to go, start making plans to come and meet us. And I just realized something. We are now in Chapter 6, and this is Episode 66. So maybe my parents were right. Maybe this is Satan's game. Well, <laughs> oh no. If you ever defeated <laughs> Satan, I mean Tanzra, after venturing through Deathheim, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 66. Last time we were together, our heroes, Nari and the boys, ventured further north, up out of the city of Tabori and into the mountains to the shrine to Lord Moshe. When they were there, they um, opened up the secret passage and headed down into the ancient facility that they had explored years ago um, and in our podcast over a year ago when they first discovered the Crystal Pizza Shield, as well as the book that has become known as the Crystal Codex, a book written by Arnium Celadar, the royal geomancer um, that Ebby was able to read uh, eventually. As they went through this ancient facility, they found the free peoples of Alil, the free deacons or Ormex that Ebby had freed uh, with the help of Hermine and a little bit with Pine at some point. Well, this is where the uh, those freed deacons and Ormex have um, have settled. And uh, while you were there, you discovered that some of these Ormex had begun to differentiate themselves from each other by painting themselves in different patterns and colors to um, show off some of their creativity and their uh, their individuality. Uh, while you were there, you also ran into Hermine and spoke with her about some of the things that had been going on, some of the developments, the research, some of the rediscovered uh, technology, including one uh, Ormec who had been able to restart the stasis field where you had originally found that crystal pizza shield, the fail safe for the crystal engine. Um, after venturing further in, you uh, came in contact with another old friend, Gerard and Porthos, who were down here. Apparently, they'd been trading with the free peoples of Allele for some time. And uh, Hermine asked a favor of you as you were getting ready to leave on the Allele Eagle. She asked you 
if you were heading to Almar, well, uh, the old Almar province now called Rakolia, if you would take a few Ormex with you, and there were, I said, nine Ormex that decided to come with you. There are three groups of three who are called these liberator um, teams. They are tasked with going down into formerly uh, imperial controlled territories to free the Ormex the same way that Ebi had freed them. So um, there were nine of these Ormex, and there's a 10th one that kind of snuck aboard your ship as well, named Daffodil, that apparently is the player's favorite now, even though it was literally just an extra name that I read off of a list. <laughs> <laughs> as you said your goodbyes to Hermine and took off into the sky, um, Nari and the boys, along with these 10 Ormex, are making their way north to the city of Woodbridge to check in with Nari's family and the other peoples of the Glass Mountains, and also to see if perhaps the blacksmith Darden can do something with the flame tongue greatsword that Pine is now carrying around. And that's where we find ourselves right now, aboard the Allele Eagle flying up over the mountains. The air is cold, the wind is blowing. Um, normally, airships don't traverse over mountains very often and usually only smaller mountains uh, because of wind shear and all of the uh, unpredictable weather and wind and buffeting. Uh, but this airship, this Allele Eagle, is a different beast. It is basically, think of it as a mastercrafted airship or a plus one airship. This is an ancient tech airship that now uh, the new airships that have been built are kind of based off of this. So this airship can handle some of these more extreme conditions. But here you are flying up over the mountains. So you're saying all the rest are just copies like um, Xeroxes that don't get quite all the same quality? Uh, kind of. I mean, basically, um, the Allele Eagle, not specifically, but um, other ancient tech that has been discovered has been copied. And when you copy um, ancient tech that was used, that was created with uh, better tools and better machinery and more refined techniques, um, the copies are never going to be quite as good. Even the Angel's Might that was down in Tabri, Pine's daughter, uh, Sanya's ship, that is a warship. It is very powerful, but it is not as well constructed as the Allele Eagle simply because it's a copy. Sweet. You have uh, 10 Ormex moving around. Actually, it's surprising. They have actually been able to, um, they've been playing around with the Allele Eagle while you guys have left it there in the cave. And they actually seem to know what they're doing as far as, uh, as running lines and tying off things and doing other things that you do aboard a ship that I don't know. Lots of not tying. Well, I'm glad <laughs> someone does because I do not feel comfortable being this high in the air with a pine in charge. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, this is all outside of my wheelhouse. Well, so now if you're feeling uncomfortable, we can always, you know, tie a rope around your waist and tie it someplace in the middle of the ship, and then you can never get close enough to the edge to fall off. We could use you as an anchor, too. And that's Abby's job. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> hey, that's union work. You can't go giving that to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so one, two, three, four, five, two, I thought there were three groups of three. <laughs> you you see that the groups um, are kind of staying, I mean, they're not like totally segregating each other uh, from each other, but they do kind of stay in these small little groups of three. There are, um, there's one team, it's called uh, Team Malcolm. Uh, another team is called Team Blodwin, and another team is called Team Preston. And then you see that kind of off 
by themselves, there is a tenth Ormek that is sitting by the railing of the ship, and they are painted yellow. It looks like they have uh, little white flowers painted all over their body, and they have a book out with a quill and are either drawing or writing something. Uh, they seem very engrossed over uh, what they are seeing over the side of the ship. I think we have a stowaway. <laughs> I love that that was just thrown out as a joke at the end of the last episode. Epi, <laughs> do you recognize this character? Um, I believe... Do I recognize this character? This is Daffodil. Okay. <laughs> that would be Daffodil. Daff, yeah. what are you doing over here? Uh, she stands up and she uh, she looks at you. She's, she, she looks a little sheepish, as sheepish as she can with a, a face that doesn't really have expressions. Um, she quickly tucks her book away and um, she says, um, I'm sorry, I I just, I couldn't be there anymore. I had to get out. You understand, right? Well, of course you do. Yes, I, I do understand, but it is incredibly dangerous out here. Are you sure you want to be out here? She looks around and she kind of motions to the to the, all the scenery around her. And she says, this, this is what I signed up for. This is why I did this. And she kind of points to her body. I, I am a cartographer. My job, I was supposed to come out and help after the crystal engine took over. I was supposed to help redocument what had happened, what had changed. And now I finally get to do that. I get to see this, this new changed world. It's exciting. Ebby kind of nods at that. Wait, 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 wait. Did you know the world was round? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Oh. She kind of, she says, here, come here, look. And then she kind of tries to point off at a horizon. It's a little bit hard to tell because of all the mountains and stuff. She's like, look, if you can see over there, do you see how there's kind of this slight little, she's trying to show you the, the horizon and how it curves a little bit. <laughs> You're yeah. not buying it, I don't think. <laughs> 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 oh, Roos. And Abby turns to Daffodil and is like, he, he'll never understand the fact that you have the parallax between those different shadows at different levels of latitude. <laughs> Simple minds, you know. <laughs> You're just uh, making up words at this point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure parallax is the name of a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, no, Daffodil says, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I think I'll stay out of your way. I've been aboard the Illegal Eagle. I, I think I can help you out with the, anything around the ship. And, and I just, I need to, I need to know what's changed. I, I need to know, know what's going on in this world so I can help our people eventually assimilate back into the world. What are you in luck? Because we happen to be heading toward the Glass Mountains. I don't think they existed before the Crystal Engine. Uh, she's like, I've never heard of the Glass Mountains until you woke me up and we went to the Glass Mountains. Oh, I guess I forgot that their home was in the Glass Mountains. That's, yeah, that's dumb. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. They've been living in the Glass Mountains, but point of order, in their time before they went into those metal bodies, there were no Glass Mountains. And that is something you guys have actually figured out as you've, I mean, you saw that globe from forever ago. And so, um, you know, you guys have kind of gathered, and for all you listeners, if you haven't gathered, when they turned on the crystal engine and all the crystals started to propagate and expand and seal up whatever was down below, stopping the inevitable, um, it pushed the earth up and created the glass mountains. So Daffodil goes and sits back over uh, by the railing, um, and she says, if you, if you need anything, 
I'll be here. And she just starts taking out her book and you can see she's actually drawing. She's drawing the um, like the landscape and things as you guys are flying overhead. Well, I guess I'm okay having her here. Well, she's a good one. She won't cause any trouble, I'm sure of it. It seems like a useful skill. Yes, especially with the shattering, you know, cartography might be actually quite important. We might be the first to kind of get this bird's eye view of the area. Not a lot of airships flying about anymore. At least not in this area. You could always just talk to the birds, though, of course, if you needed like a bird's perspective on things. But I suppose being high and seeing what a bird sees is almost as good as being able to see or perceive what a bird perceives, if you know what I mean. Philosophically speaking, of course. I've always said that. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the other Ormex just start scratching their heads like, what? (laughs) The rest of you aren't like this, huh? This is just, this is an heavy thing. Uh, they kind of shrug and shake their heads, and uh, <laughs> and one of them, uh, one of the liberators, uh, her name is Jessamine. She's all painted um, baby blue um, with like white stripes down her arms. Uh, she says, "No, before this, I was ah, gosh, what was she? She was an exotic dancer, wasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> they needed to bring a couple along. <laughs> we'll need some jumblies after the apocalypse." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I was a researcher before. I was I was researching crystals. So you must have worked closely with Arnium then, right? He he was the royal geomancer. Closely? I wouldn't say closely. I mean, in the same labs from time to time, yes. But, I mean, you must understand, it was a a very vast effort. All across the face of the of the land, we were we were studying in different labs, coming up with different techniques, and um yeah, Arnium would come. Indeed, there were there were hundreds, perhaps even thousands of us scattered about Pavantus. Yes, yes, we we were a whole a whole civilization. We were um, quite advanced, actually. Do you remember where other labs were? I mean, obviously, there's the one, you know, where where you're currently your your people are currently residing. There's the one where the crystal engine was actually built. Are there more? Spread out even farther, like even out to like Osterland or Ustrana. I know that there were they were all over. I know that there was there were some to the south, and there were some further east. There was one further west um, on an island, um, and then there was um, one that we have determined actually was in the city that you now call Almar. Ooh, that would be very interesting. Yes, hmm. I. I had no memory of that. Huh. Something to do next time we're in the we're in the vicinity. Webby. Fine. <laughs> Salutations. <laughs> you just oh, man. you said uh, you just said that you have you had no memory of that. Do you have other memories? Have you have memories been coming back to you? Honestly, no. Not really any additional memories since the shattering happened. And what memories I had seemed to be very tightly bound to um, to Arnium and what communications he would provide me. He went quiet for quite some time. Um, it's odd, but he began to stir just recently. Oh, really? Did he have anything interesting to say? Well, n- not anything I think that's pertinent to what we're engaged in at the moment. Hmm. I'll have to ponder to see if there's anything that might be useful. And perhaps as we continue, 
he may reach out again and we might be able to make further contact. It's interesting though, but because of the way that I awoke, it seems to have been different for me than it was for most of the other Ormecs who retained more of their memory from before. At one point, Abby, didn't you say that you might have been an assistant to Arnium? Daffodil, did, did Arnium have any assistants that worked like closely with him? Daffodil looks up from her book and she goes, um, I, I don't know. And then, uh, <laughs> actually the one who was talking before was Jessamine. She goes, um, yes, actually I, I can answer that. Oh, oh, sorry. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> she says, oh, oh, yes, he had, he had assistants around him all the time. Yeah. Um, there was one fellow who was always with him. What was his name? And she's thinking, she says, he was less of an assistant, more of like a, more of like a, a bodyguard or a, a manservant, a butler, something like that. Um, whenever I saw Arnium come to the lab, this this man was always close, big, strong, imposing, and yet refined, um, very well spoken, um, but not a researcher. I can't remember his name. But as far as other assistants, um, he had a retinue who traveled with him. Yes, I was not a part of that retinue. I was part of the of the lab that was working specifically with the crystals that would um, would cause abjuration effects. Hmm, like the, like the crystals we have in the hull of this ship. Some of them, yes. Hmm. Yes. If you look at the crystal kind of core of the, uh, the Allele Eagle, there's multiple different colors, but some are, you know, there's, there's larger clusters of certain colors than others. Like, for example, there's, there's like no purple um, in here at all. Um, because the purple is like necromancy. Oh, we don't need death magic. <laughs> you don't need death magic. No, no. So anyway, but yeah, I was specifically referring to the in the hull we, that all the different panels have a crystal stud in them to keep them from deteriorating. Yes, yes, exactly. Wait, no, scratch that. Wait, that wouldn't be abjuration. That would be um, transmutation. You know, here's what I know about crystals. Nothing. I do not understand them at all. <laughs> Well, and that's why people people spent their whole lives studying it. It's no, uh, it's no easy feat. And I spent my whole life, well, you know, learning better ways to tell people to kill other people. That's valuable as well. As <laughs> you can see, that Jessamine's <laughs> getting a little uncomfortable. Oh, I was, uh, I was a, I was a commander in the military. Nothing like yes. gross or creepy. <laughs> <laughs> As you guys continue to fly towards Woodbridge, you figure this flight, the, the ship, I mean, airships move about the same speed as like sailing ships. So this ship, it will probably take you about, if you fly straight to Woodbridge, it'll probably take you about 24 hours to get there. Um, 24, 25 hours to get there. So basically one whole day. And so as you guys are um, flying north, the kind of the, that first day starts to pass. And it starts to become nighttime. People start to uh, kind of take some breaks. Some people go inside the ship while others stay up and continue manning the uh, the rigging, keeping a lookout for any like bad weather patterns ahead or anything like that, things to avoid. Uh, so I guess I just kind of want to know what you guys are going to do here on this trip north to the city of Woodbridge. You know, um, Ebby got that book from Kippen, and I don't know that we ever officially identified it. So he's going to spend some time reading and studying that book. Okay. Yeah, you tried to do that last time, I do believe. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't remember. <laughs> but, I, don't, I don't think I was successful or something happened. 
you were definitely not successful. <laughs> definitely not successful. Let's go um, back through our roles in, in our virtual tabletop and see and see the Arcana roll you rolled. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. A two. <laughs> yes. Yes indeed. As you as you start to look through this book, you you start to gather not necessarily like what is in it, but you 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 see the same patterns that you saw in things like um when you guys stole um uh Sonara's spell book or when you stole Ramsey's spell book. Um this is obviously a spell book. You don't necessarily know what the spells are, but you can see that um this is a spell book that looks like it is more full than the two that you had previously held on to. And I take uh exception to the use of the word stole. We call it civil <laughs> forfeiture. And the rule is finders, keepers. What was the other one? Losers. Losers die. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pretty, pretty straightforward, that rule. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, so that's what you got. You have a, um, a, a spell book that you know would, could be pretty valuable um, just because of the spells that are in there. It seems like some of them, um, you know, they might take up two or sometimes three pages, um, which you imagine must mean they're more complicated, which means that they're probably more powerful. Yes, indeed. Did we ever take her glasses? I don't recall. You did not. I believe we gave those to Kira. Well, Kira just took them. You did not give those to Kira. She took them. <laughs> she was oh, the queen. <laughs> she took them. Good. Okay. Now I'm all caught up. We're good. <laughs> all right. You guys are flying into the night. It is a clear sky tonight and that the moon is full, so you can see pretty well out there. Um, you can see um, you guys are flying relatively high over the mountains um not to the point where it's um like it's difficult to breathe or anything like that you do get close at points to some of these hilltops and these mountaintops um just to try to uh, avoid the very frigid cold temperatures and the the sheer winds that are um that are up higher i think um fine will approach ebby if he's alone yeah yeah i imagine ebby's just kind of looking off into the distance Ebby, how are you feeling? Um, I'm I'm doing well, you know, all things considered. Yeah, it's it's it was a bit strange <laughs> going back and seeing everyone. I can't help but feel like I'm letting them down sometimes. Well, I don't think you're letting them down. How would you how would you even be letting them down? I don't know. Just not being there constantly with them. Uh, yes, I, sometimes I feel like in some ways they might look to me for some f- sort of leadership. I've never been a leader, though, Pine. Um, and it, I feel that Hermine has fallen into that role admirably. She does an excellent job of leading the people. But it does feel a bit like I was their shepherd and have abandoned the flock. But the times are pressing. The reasons... Well, I have my reasons. I don't know if anyone who knows you, truly knows you, wouldn't hold it against you. You have done so much for those people. And and honestly, you continue to do great work for them, even if it's not directly related to releasing them from their sleep. And and, and you've inspired this new generation. We have, we have nine Ormecs who are following directly in your footsteps to continue the work that, that you taught them. Well, and hopefully they will succeed where I have failed. Um, yes, it's... There's still much that has to be done, and I don't know if I have it in me to be able to fulfill those obligations, 
there is a pressure that is building, Pine. I don't know if you can feel it. There's something that seems to be growing. A dread, an evil, and frankly, an inevitability that seems to be approaching. And I don't know that any of us are prepared for what's about to come. Is that why you've been acting more rashly? More... with more rage? I'm thinking specifically of our experience with my daughter. Ebby kind of turns away and is looking in the, off in the distance for a second. And uh, Ebby, I don't blame you. I don't blame you for being angry and frustrated and for, for thinking the worst of someone who was the enemy for so long. I understand where you were coming from. I do ask your forgiveness, Pine. I know that she is your kin, that that bond of blood is incredibly strong. I, I have felt that, at least to some degree, with the liberated Ormex, with the free peoples of Alil. There is a kinship there with these people, and even though I may or may not be direct kin to them, I feel that connection, and I feel an immense level of trust with them. And so I apologize for, for pushing the boundaries on that. But I do, as you noted, and I'm sure you are aware, it's hard for me not to see the atrocities that have been committed and to not cast judgment on all those who have abetted or aided in that practice. I can only hope that for her, the events that have happened recently in Tabory might, you know, perhaps spurn some opportunity for her to potentially change allegiances. I hope so too, with all my heart. I guess you talked, you talk about trust and trusting those of your kin. Ebby, you're my kin, and I want you to trust me. Okay? Ebby puts his hand on Pine's shoulder and kind of nods to him and says, And I do, with my very life, Pine. And I am grateful for the friendship and the familial love and kindness that you have shown me. Truly, it saved my life, and for that I will forever be grateful. And I to you, you've saved my life on numerous occasions. And and in more ways than that. You know, I was I was restless and I was lost when you and I started to work together. And uh you helped me find a calling and a purpose in my life that I greatly appreciate. I just I guess what I wanted to say is Abby, I understand the temptation, the desire to see all of a group as one specific thing. When we were running from Imperial forces in the woods after capturing Applebottom, it was very easy to think, oh, more Imperials, we must kill them, we must survive, we must get him through. But I, in my recent conversation with Sanya, um, I, I expressed to her that Every time I saw one of those patrols, I saw somebody wearing the Imperial Grey. I couldn't help but see her face. And I couldn't help but remember that these, our enemies, are made up of individuals. Right? Even the Empire, the forces of the Empire was not a monolith. 
It was made up of people, people doing what they thought was right, doing their best. And what we can do is try to help to show them our perspective, our point of view, and help them to be better. And hopefully we can learn from those same people as they help us to understand and view from their perspective. I'm not saying that our fight against the Empire was wrong or bad. I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's very easy to make an enemy out of a people. It's much harder to make an enemy out of an individual. You know, and there is wisdom there. When you think of the victims of the Empire, or at least the indoctrination of the Empire, those who are victims to it, it is not just the conquered, but often the conquerors themselves who are victims to it. And in this case, I think you are correct, especially especially if they engaged in, in you know, pressing soldiers into their service. Um, certainly there were many that were forced into action that certainly would have rather been somewhere else, doing something else. And it hurts to think that... <coughs> <laughs> it hurts to think that perhaps many of those people we have sent to an early grave but this is the way of life the way of nature that's true it's true it is and it's the way of war this is a war <sighs> it's not that it's the best way it just is the way that it is I, I respect you, Pine, and I will, at times when I feel conflicted, I will try to defer to you because, after all, we are stronger. The wolf is stronger for the pack that goes with it, and I am stronger for the wisdom that you impart. Oh, thank you, Abby. I think, um, well, it'll be a conversation for another time. Yes, get some rest while you can. That was sounded ominous. <laughs> well, you can. You Don't sounded fall so asleep. threatening. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Bad> asleep. <laughs> um. Anybody else want to do anything this night before you guys get to Woodbridge? I think Nari is a little bit busy just being kind of stressed about going over the glass mountains and thinking about her family. Um, but I do think she might try to eavesdrop a little bit on the free people of Alleles um, okay. and just kind of try to figure out like what those different groups are and, and what their end game might be. Okay. Um, why don't you make, um, a, well, I guess, you know what, they're, they're not going to try to hide anything from you. You don't, you don't even need to make a perception check. They don't really change their conversation when you come around. It seems to you that these three groups, um, I explained a little bit last time, um, but I'll explain it a little bit more detailed this time. Their plan is to go to Rakolia, which is the former Almerian province where the majority of Ormex were put into service as deacons and they are going to split up. Um, one of them is going to head kind of southwest. One of them is going to head southeast. And the other one is going to head basically more straight east um, from Almar. If you guys go to the actual city of Almar, and they are going to go from um, city to city, just trying to 
liberate as many of these uh, deacons that they can find. Um, their plan is to be as secretive as possible. However, they are all planning on um, scouring their bodies, getting rid of any of this paint that they've got on them so that they look more like traditional deacons, very uniform and identical to the other Ormex so that they can pass as as deacons going about their business, that type of thing. Um, yeah, and then their their plan is to just free as many as they can. Um, they all seem to have. Well, actually, want to make a. You can make an insight check. Okay, that was a thirteen. Um, you sense a an excitement um, as they talk, but in a couple of them, you can sense sort of a dread or um, almost like a, a finality to what they are doing. Um, like they they have realized that this might be the last thing that they ever do. Um, they are going into the unknown, into a very dangerous situation, and at least a couple of them are not expecting to return. Hey, Paul, can I ask you a question about... So when, um, when we brought back Hermine, when we kind of uh, brought her back to, to, to life, the, the detonator that we used, is that done or do we still have that? Um, I think you guys still have it. Okay, so it could still work? Okay, all right. Yeah, it's just a crystal. It's just a crystal that has some power in it that you can kind of use it to overload other crystals, other tech. Um, it's almost like a, like a battery charger or a jumper cable, basically. Okay. See, I thought you were going to ask me a more difficult question, like why was Hermine in the ancient facility and not in <laughs> wherever all these other deacons were? I thought you were going to ask me that question because I have an answer for that as well. Hey, Paul. Why was yes. Hermine in the ancient facility and not with all these other all these other Ormex? That has actually come up in your conversations with Hermine um, over time. So you'll have to ask her. No, I'm kidding. Um, so um, <laughs> Hermine was um, originally, she was a lottery um, choice to be put into an Ormex body. Because I think I told you this before, not everybody who was alive back then had the chance. This was like a, um, a doomsday bunker basically and they were choosing the best of the best and the brightest to to uh, take on this um this position to go into these these uh, uh organic mechanical bodies to survive whatever coming doom there was to help progress um whoever survived back to uh to civilization basically um hermine was a lottery winner and she was a lottery winner meaning that um she was not qualified to become an Ormec on her own. But um, what they did is they put her into an Ormec early and then they were actually in the process of testing out her, um, her skills and how they translated from her old organic body into this new mechanical body. And so one of the rooms that was in that facility you guys never went into, um, or actually you did go into, but you couldn't figure out what it was. It was actually a, surg a surgical suite. And that was where Hermine was practicing her skills with surgery in her new mechanical body. And that's why she was in the facility. Very cool. Okay. So in case any listeners out there were going, oh, I found a plot that's hole. exactly what I would have said had you asked. <laughs> so, Roos, what are you up to? Roos, during travel, found himself unsheathing the swords and holding them in his hands a couple of times. God watches you when you do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He does. So he spent the afternoon um, taking a couple of cords and tying the sheath to the hilt of the swords so that he can't subconsciously unsheath them. 
and um, then replace them in his backpack. And he's just kind of lounging around, not doing much. Okay. As you guys continue to sail through the night, taking turns, taking shifts, um, as the morning approaches, you can actually, you've gotten over the rough part of the mountains and down into the valley of the Tall Hearts and the Storm Fists. A couple of things that you guys have noticed um, or that you know from before, the Valley of Stormfists and Tall Hearts, this long valley with the southwestern or southeastern side being for the Tall Hearts and then the northwestern edge is more of the Stormfist land. At least that's the way it used to be. Now it has pretty much consolidated towards the southern part of this valley and Woodbridge has become the main hub for these mountain, uh, these mountain clans, at least the storm fists and the tall hearts. Um, as you approach the town of Woodbridge, you can see coming out of the mountains, there is this river that, um, snakes through the valley. And at one point it went right through the village of Woodbridge. It no longer goes through the village of Woodbridge, at least not where it used to because of all the upheaval and the earthquakes and the ground changing, the river has actually changed its course and it has shifted a little bit. So now as you approach Woodbridge, you can see the old bridge where Woodbridge got its name and it just sits over an empty, dried riverbed. And the river actually now snakes a little bit north of the village, but the village has also grown. A second wall has been built kind of around the northern side of this valley where the, where the village is, and the village has uh, more than doubled in size. You can see the older um, traditional tall heart structures um, that are there, but you can also see more of the sort of Viking style stone houses with thatch roofs that um, were more prominent um, further north in the Stormfist village of, um, of Winterhome and Summerhome. And um, as you fly overhead, you can see moving about um, tall hearts with their large antlers. Um, you see the adults, you also see the, the younger tall hearts who are shorter. They seem to be much more lively, lots of energy. I like to imagine those videos of like the baby goats where they're like jumping on each other and stuff and just jumping all around. <laughs> like that's, that's basically what the tall heart kids are like. And then at puberty or something, or when puberty ends, all of a sudden they just become very stoic and very calm. They become sullen very... teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's after puberty. It's after puberty is done. Um, then they become very stoic and very just thoughtful and, and calm. Um, and so you see these very like stoic, calm adults and their kids are just going crazy and the parents don't seem to even notice. That's just kind of how the tall hearts are. But you also see moving amongst the, the tall hearts, you see l taller, larger, broader forms of these storm fists that have um, moved down here out of their more ancestral home. And they you don't see, put up with the tall heart kids, do they? <laughs> they, you can see that they've gotten used to it, but it's still every once in a while kind of like startles them. Like they'll just be walking along and then some little tall heart kid will just like jump off of a rock right in front of them and just like, hey, hey, how you doing? How you doing? What's up? Hey, you. And then uh, they'll kind of step back and kind of shake their head a little bit. Um, you can see that there are some storm fist kids here as well who are, you know, playing with the tall hearts. And it seems like they're getting along. The kids at least are getting along relatively well. The adults from this vantage point, it seems to still be relatively segregated groups of tall hearts and groups of storm fists. You also see other peoples moving around here as you approach this town. You can see um, some tall but slender uh, folk who um, you would recognize as being of the soft paw 
uh, clan who they have pointed ears. They are thin, but they're as tall as the storm fists. Um, Delon of the fallen heaven uh, group was one of these soft paws from way long time ago. And you see some other folk from some of these other tribes that we haven't actually met before. Are there gray bears? There, <laughs> there are no gray bears. <laughs> oh, you do see some copper beards. Okay. Do they, does anybody have any pet falcon wolves? Are there falcon <laughs> bears? No, when we're up in the sky, do we see any like flocks of falcon wolves? <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about that. That Wait, was is, so it, is it a pack or a flock of falcon wolves? I think it's called a gaggle. I was literally <laughs> just going to say that. <laughs> Until they um, start feeding and then it's a murder. Yes. <laughs> Well, you do see some other groups of people moving around in here. It's much, not nearly as many as the Stormfist or the Tall Hearts, but you see these copper beards, and they are short. They are probably um, maybe standing five feet tall at the most, but they are very, very broad. Um, and they are called copper beards, um, not because they have red hair, but because um, they all, male and female, they all have these big, thick beards, and they decorate them with all manners of copper rings and bands and things like that. Um, the copper beards traditionally um, mine, and they mine copper, um, and they use it in all their decorations and all their armor, and even their weapons are adorned with copper. Um, and you even see, as you approach, a small contingent, a small group of these long claws. They are... Um, they are lean um, for the most part, um, and they are, you know, average uh, human sized, you know, high, uh, five foot five to six foot two, somewhere in there. Um, and they have these um, tufted kind of wolf ears on top of their heads. And they, they move with a, a finesse and a um, kind of this, um, almost like they're prowling whenever they, whenever they move. They, are, they seem very, um, well, wolf-like, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, you approach Woodbridge. As you approach Woodbridge, there's no place to land. So you, um, having been here before, um, years ago, you know that you probably just have to drop a ladder and that some of these Ormex will um, probably stay in the ship and um, keep it close by, but still in the air uh, while you guys descend down to the town of Woodbridge. Daffodil, you're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> she looks. Um, she looks at the other Ormex, and she looks incredibly um, uh, uh, anxious at that prospect. Um, but you guys climb down this rope ladder and down into the village known as Woodbridge. Um, as you drop down, you see that there are folk coming out of the different buildings to come and meet you. Um, Nari, you see uh, two men approaching you one of them is broad and strong and a thick beard an axe over his shoulder and he is your older brother tikris the other is more slender he is young he is i think at this point 21 22 maybe um he actually approaches you doing something that you did not think that he would be able to do again he walks towards you he has um on his arms he has crutches um and his legs have these um very well made uh metal braces to keep them rigid so he can actually walk uh towards you um and they both have smiles on their faces as they see you descending the ladder and they say sister nari it's so good to see you and they both come in for a very large hug oh, amazing um 
Nari will absolutely hug them in response and say, it's so good to see you both. And it's, it's so good to see that you're up and moving about, Tazar. Um, I, I never doubted you for a second. She'll kind of <laughs> hesitantly laugh and look at uh, Tikris. <laughs> he, he actually looks at Tazar and he, he, with a big smile on his face and he's nodding approvingly. He's like, yes, Tazar has definitely, definitely proven his worth. And then uh, you can see that Tazar gets um, a little bit um, shy, a little bit of a blush. And he says, no, none of that. So, Nari, why, why are you here? What's, what brings you uh, to Woodbridge? Well, we're, we're mostly just stopping over for the moment. Um, but my colleagues were hoping we could have someone help us out who was uh, good with smithing. Oh, you've come to see Darden. Um, you can see Darden's smithy. Um, where it was before. And you can actually see him out there. He is hammering on something on his anvil. Um, and he looks pretty much the same as last time you saw him, still missing one antler. Um, hair is a little bit more gray, but he is pounding away on uh, some kind of a weapon. It looks like a dagger or a short sword of some kind. Um, Tikris, your older brother, says, Nari, you would be so pleased with your brother Tazar. He actually... He is... He's been chosen to fill the spot left by Maeve. Oh, goodness. He's been chosen again. <laughs> yes, th this is not, not the same. And you can see that um, now Tazar looks even more embarrassed. And he says, no, no, no. We, we were looking for someone to, to take up her mantle, to, to help guide us with the prophecy of the Stormfist clan. And it looks like... Perhaps Tazar has received that mantle. Well, that's that's fantastic. I I never would have doubted you, Tazar. Ever. <laughs> Thanks. I, I appreciate that, sister. Um, yes. Um, I've been um, I've been doing some some tattoos, and it seems that it seems that perhaps my hand is being guided, which is. A surprise to me as well. Um, as you are talking with your brothers, um, you see another familiar face come out of one of these nearby buildings. It is a tall heart. He has um, a large, very pert, taut rack of antlers. <laughs> oh, I missed that rack. Oh, wow, that look rack. how perky they are. They're very perky. Yeah, you guys see Yasdin come later, out. And they still just look great. <laughs> Gravity hasn't um, impacted them at all. If anything, they've gotten bigger. <laughs> yes, I was going to say they have gotten a little bit bigger. <laughs> um, you see, Yostin. Um, Yostin comes uh, out, and when he sees you, he actually. Um, Yostin's always been very stoic and kind of uh, calm in his uh, demeanor. But as he sees you, you see him pick up his pace a little bit and almost jog towards you guys. And he's like, Oh, my friends, it's so good to see you. I have not seen you for all these years. What brings you to Woodbridge? And then you explain again why you're here, I assume. <laughs> I realize well, we, we're having the same we, conversation we again. We came here to see Nari's family, to check in on everyone, and, and then to, to see Darden, of course, because, you know, he's Master Smith. But uh, we, wanted, we wanted to check in before we head further south and see how everything uh, was up here. Yeah, well, who has need of, of Darden? I, I, I'll take you over there. 
Well, well I do, but first I, I, I couldn't help but notice that um, Tazar was saying that he started to do tattoos. Did you know that I made it nearly 50 years in the military without a single tattoo? Tazar says, I could give you a tattoo. That's exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> I think we're going to stay here for a little bit, and I'll go talk with Darden, but when I come back, let's, I'd, I'd be very interested to know if, if that would be even possible within your culture, if, if I were to get maybe something, a little something from your, uh, your tattoo soothsayer. The first one's got to mean something, you know? Yes. <laughs> but I thought we were all getting matching tattoos. Cesar says, I, I don't take requests. I let the needle do the work. Oh, because I wanted a Tweety Bird. <laughs> well, you know, that might happen. <laughs> Come see me. Come see me. And, and I'll, I'll show you what I've been working on. And, and if you want, I can perhaps, perhaps tattoo you as well. I think I would like that. I want everyone to make an insight check. Pine rolled a 11. Roos got a 16. Nari rolled an 18. And Ebby got a 15. Okay. Um, Pine, you're just happy to be here. Um, everything's going so well. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Roos and Nari and Ebby, you guys all three can tell um, Yastin and uh, Tikris. Tikris is Nari's older brother. They, they make a point of not looking at each other. And you can just feel that there's a little bit of animosity between these two. Uh, he's jealous of his rack. <laughs> All right. Um, so Yostin grabs you by the, uh, by the shoulder. Piney says, come, let me take you over to, to Darden and, and we'll see if maybe he can get to work on whatever you have need of. Oh, that'd be wonderful. And how are you doing, Yostin? How have things been here? They've been good. They've been, they've been good. I mean, we all have our troubles and, uh, you know, uh, we, we deal with them as best we can, but, uh, Falcon wolves, ripper birds, ripper birds, ripper birds, <laughs> make an insight check. <laughs> uh, I got a 15. At first you think he's joking and then you realize he's not joking. Ooh, well, that, that sounds vicious. Yes, very, very vicious. They've, they've moved too close to some of our, some of our, our herds, and uh, we are trying to decide how to get rid of them. They're, they're a nasty sort. But um, that's, that's not your problem. That's, uh, that's our problem. And then you can see, with your 15 insight, you can see him glance back at, um, at Tikris, at Nari's older brother, and then glance back uh, towards the blacksmith and say, come, let's go see Darden. All right, let's, let's go. As Pine and uh, Yastin are heading towards Dart and the blacksmith, what does everybody else want to do here while you're in Woodbridge, at least at, at this moment? I mean, I think Nari would grab her brothers both and, and be like, hey, let's like go grab some dinner and just like chat about what you guys have done over the last couple of years. Yeah, sure thing. Um, Tazar and Tikris take Nari over to a house. Anybody else who would like to uh, to join them is more than welcome to, unless you guys want to do something else here in town. Just a reminder of what there is here in Woodbridge. Woodbridge is uh, sort of this uh, small village. It's a little bit bigger than it used to be, uh, but there is a grove in the middle of this, this village where the elders meet, and there is also a large wooden statue of Lord Moshe. 
um, that's a little bit further west of the grove. Oh, Paul, I was going to ask, could we see the statue from the air as we were coming in? Yes, you could. And it is okay. still there. Okay. Um, it, if you guys want to make uh, investigation or perception checks, you guys can. And we can retroactively say that this happened while you were on the ship and approaching. Pine rolled a 17. Ebby also got a 17. Nari rolled a 27. Jeez. Roos rolled a 28. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So here's what you notice. As you guys were flying in and you saw this statue of Lord Moshe, it looks much the same. And having just left Lord Moshe's shrine, like the scale is the same. Um, But this, instead of it just being a throne, um, this actually has a statue of Lord Moshe, which, Ebby, you now realize this is not what Lord Moshe looked like when you met him at all. This is definitely um, anthropomorphized, human looking. um, I mean, sort of. long ears like uh like anime elf you know look to him um but it is this wooden statue very well carved um but you can see that all over the surface of this statue um it's covered in leaves and blossoms and um flowers and uh, all kinds of different colors of green and brown and orange and pink um it's not totally covered, but um, it almost looks like um, like you know how sometimes some uh, statue will be covered with ivy. It's kind of like that, except for all different colors of different plants and, and things. Interesting. Okay. All right. So Nari is heading with her brothers over to go and have a pint and have some food. Pine is heading towards the blacksmith. What is Ebby going to do and what is Roos going to do? Roos will ask Ebby... Hey, Ebby, can you can you come to the the statue with me? I've got a question to ask you, and uh, I know it's not the right god, but you seem to have a connection with Erdos, and I just want to bounce an idea off you. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to head there anyway, and then I was going to go to the grove afterwards. But yeah, let's let's uh, let's go. It's a date. <laughs> it's a date. So it's not a date. It's not a date. <laughs> So Yastin and Pine, you head over towards Darden's blacksmith, towards his smithy. Um, he looks up as you guys approach and you can see a slight smirk or smile as he makes eye contact with you, Pine. Um, and um, he kind of, um, he holds his arms out like a, like for a hug, uh, but he doesn't give you a hug. It's kind of like a greeting. And then he kind of, um, swings his arm in the air like a sword. Um, <laughs> I just said <laughs> like sword. A sword? <laughs> Broad sword. <laughs> <He's> Broad sword. <laughs> so, have you guys ever seen that? No. No. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. A cracking good unboxing of Dragon. Oh no, what is it? Hero Quest? Uh, Hero Quest, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. I remember that commercial though. I was like, I'll use my broadsword. I'll use my fire of wrath. Except anyway. the kid says, I'll use my broadsword. <laughs> so it broad is from what it's from. It oh, is. Awesome. Broadsword. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, so he, he, he motions like he's kind of swinging a sword, and you get the impression, uh, just with his mimicry, that um, he'd like to see your sword, because uh, it's some of the best work he's ever done. Okay, well, um, Pine will do the best his best to speak some Ustranian, because he was trying to learn a little bit, so he's like, Guten Tag! Um, and then he'll take out first his saber and kind of hand it over with both hands, like, you know, one hand at the blade, one hand at the handle and open hands Mm -hmm. and kind of hand it over. 
Yeah. He uh, he takes it in his hand and he kind of holds it reverentially and then he whips it in the air a few times and then he kind of looks down at it as he's as he's uh as you're kind of talking to him and and I'm I'm guessing you're getting the other sword ready and he's just looking mm -hmm. at it like reverentially like or like not reverentially but like with like this this just this smile on his face like just this memory of of forging that sword and uh seems like he um he really relishes that memory. So then I will, as he's looking down at the sword, at his feet, I will plant the big, giant, nearly buster sword in the ground, chink, and say, huh, and I just motion to it and say, huh, huh. <laughs> he, uh, he looks at it. Um, is it on fire or not? I guess if your hands aren't on it, you, then it's not on fire. I'll put my uh, hand on it and I'll say, Hen fuego, and it'll light up. <laughs> there Actually, what, what was the technique that uh, um, Rolf used to light the fire? Oh, you are you are going way back. If you give me just a second, I can tell you what it is. Okay, because I would um, say that. Lounging dragon. Sure, it's lounging dragon. I think it's lounging dragon. I will, uh, when he looks at the sword, I'll dry it and I'll hold it and I'll say, and I'll take the stance and I'll say, lounging dragon technique. And the, the blade will burst into flame. He uh, steps back. And then um, he's kind of looking at you at the sword, kind of walking around it as you're holding it, um, kind of with a with an expert eye. And then I'll put the sword down into the ground and let it like again point down into the ground, just like cheek. And then I'll and I'll like massage my arms, be like, "Ooh, that's so heavy!" Like overdoing it, pantomiming, like, "Oh, I'm too I'm too old for this big heavy sword type stuff." Right. And then so then he looks at you and he kind of cocks an eyebrow and he holds up one finger on his left hand and one finger on his right hand, and then he brings them together, and then he kind of shrugs like, huh? <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll do the universal sign of yes, which is the devil horns. <laughs> <laughs> he turns around to his anvil, and he swipes whatever he was working on off there, and he gives you a big thumbs up. And then he says something really quickly in Ustranian, and Yostin turns to you, and he says, he's going to start working on this right away. Um, he's going to need the rest of the day as well as some of tomorrow to get it done and he's going to need a little bit of gold for supplies but he says he can combine these for you so uh pine will just kind of take out his pouch with his gold and platinum and everything in it and he'll just kind of hold it open and say huh huh okay and i'll just um, let starts... him pull out what he needs okay uh you are now short a thousand gold what oh, <laughs> do you have okay. a thousand gold yeah, I do. I do. Okay, thousand gold gone. <laughs> what a deal! <laughs> All right, and then you leave your two swords with him. Perfect. All right, um, Nari, you are in. Um, uh, you're in Tazar's um, house. Tazar's house is very reminiscent to you of Maeve's house. It's less musty, less old, um, but it has that same feel of going into the kind of the ceremonial tattoo um uh parlor basically um there is a bench and a seat and you can see the tools that uh tazar uses um but there's also um like a small eating area and that is where you guys go and you um you sit down as uh tazar kind of gathers up some meat and some some root vegetables pours you guys some beer and the three of you sit and talk anything in particular that nari would like to talk with her brothers about i think Nari would start by talking about how proud she is of both of them, you know, uh, to Chris and to Zara for being leaders of the community. Um, but I, I do wonder 
what the uh, the beef is with Yostin. He was very helpful to us, um, and it seems like there might be a little bit of animosity between y'all. Tikris just kind of waves it off. He says, "Not. Nah, he's just. He's just a tall heart. Just a tall heart. Just a sneaky little tall heart." Yostin's a good man. He's a good man, but he just he doesn't he doesn't do things the way that we always did. Is there is there something specific that's worrying you? I mean, well, sometimes sometimes changing your ideas is pretty good. So I you know what, Nari? Yes, I agree. Changing your ideas is sometimes good, yes. And we have changed a lot. Look at us. We are in Woodbridge. We are amongst the tall hearts. I have a house here. I literally can hear those rambunctious, bratty, tall heart kids all the time. That's change. And you thank them every day for allowing you to move down the mountain and stay on their land and build off of their resources. You are exactly right. Dude. That's life in the suburbs, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> he goes, Nari, you're exactly right. Sorry that you don't have the cool trampoline. I have a mortgage. <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He says, yes, Nari, you're exactly right. And this is something I would never say to them. But we have problems and we are trying to solve them as a group. And it seems like everything becomes an argument. Everything becomes a fight. And now we have this new danger moving in from the West. Something has pushed the Ripperbirds down closer to town. And they've been harassing our flocks. They've been harassing our caribou. They've been harassing our cows. And we need to put a stop to it. And we can't agree on how to do it. What what's your idea? Go kill the ripper birds. Let's go in force. Let's get them out of here. H- how are you going to do that? And he kind of reaches over, grabs his axe, and shows you his axe. Um, Nari, you would know ripper birds are big. Ripper birds are the size of horses. Um, they are um, mean. Dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs. Well, come- what about shoebills? Are they shoebills? Exactly. They're just they're big dinosaurs. They're like that. Is it like the Amazon bird with the big fin on its head and the huge dinosaur feet? Are they like terror birds in our world? They were like the size of horses and they used to hunt humans. It was it was before people, though, were around or like it was like very early peoples. So you're talking back in Viking times. That would explain the laser raptors. The laser raptors. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, no. So these are like, um, these are just, I mean, they, these are big birds that can fly. So their wingspan is like 20 feet, um, but their bodies are about the size of like a horse, like a small horse or a pony. Um, but they have these, um, they have um, these sharp beaks and they have claws. And on the back of their foot, they have this extra long claw that is poisonous. And um, they pounce on their prey. You would know all this, Nari. You, you know not to mess with ripper birds. They are, they are gnarly. Um, and uh, and uh, your brother is talking about how they've been moving down closer to town. And then he, he goes on and he says, Yostin and the Tallheart way is to move the herds, find somewhere else. Let the ripper birds have their, have their land, have their territory, and just move our our um, flocks and our, our herds out of their way. 
the Ripper Birds will just follow. I just think we need to go in and destroy them. Yastin disagrees, and we cannot come to a conclusion. But it's not just the Ripper Birds. That's every single decision that we have to make here in Woodbridge. I don't mean to bore you with those details. This is a happy time. You're here. Let's let's just reminisce and get drunk. I mean, I appreciate you telling me all of that. I I imagine it's been more difficult for you than, well, definitely than it has been for me. And I, I appreciate the fact that you're trying to make amends and find compromise with the tall hearts. I imagine that's that's very difficult. They're good folk. It's hard to get rid of years of ingrained feelings and all of the things that mom and dad said growing up about the other clans and realizing now that a lot of it wasn't true. Sometimes that's hard to get rid of. I, I absolutely can understand that. And if there's something me and my little band of uh, friends can do, let us know. Like if, if it's something that we can take care of for the next couple of days, I think it's going to take that long for the um, blacksmith to take care of our needs. So we're happy to help. Well, I will talk about it. And and maybe we could use your help with these ripper birds if your if your friends are ready if your friends are up for that challenge. Pine now no longer has a weapon. <laughs> All right, Nari and her brothers drink. Uh, got these two swords. <laughs> <laughs> drink a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, Pine. Oh gosh. All right. Um, Ebby and Roos, you guys approach the statue of Lord Moshe. Is there anywhere to sit? I can't remember if there was like a bench or. There's not a bench. There's just rocks and stumps around, though. There's a big lap. <laughs> there is a big <laughs> lap. In fact, as I recall, somebody was sitting in that big lap uh, five years ago. Climb up to Papa Moshe's lap. <laughs> um, Abby, uh, why don't you make a nature check? Sure. You know, for a druid, Abby has a terrible nature modifier. Um, <laughs> I got a five. Lord Moshe, the statue of Lord Moshe looks beautiful with all of these leaves and flowers and plants. All right. Abby's just kind of silent, just staring up at the statue. So I I brought you out here. I, I don't, I didn't really tell the group much about this, but I've been trying to rid myself of these swords. Oh. And nobody I've come across. <sighs> Oof. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the swords. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what did you... Uh, no, did you have no the swords are, I, I yes I was thinking man those swords I mean if there's something else look, you wanted to like bring up no, I mean no I'm good I'm good oh, did you want to play swords <laughs> <laughs> I see your sports is as big as mine oh man oh my gosh no so I I haven't found someone that that's in touch with um Lord Erdos enough to actually help me and I don't know if it's something that you can even do, but, um, mm, I see. Well, let me, let me think about this for a moment. We would need to try to disentangle the weave that's intertwined with your life force. And that is no, that's no easy feat. I might be able to try something. 
I'm going to try and cast Dispel Magic. Um, okay. More likely than not, what he needs is Remove Curse, but we're gonna, we'll are gonna we give this a shot, if that's okay with you. That's 100% fine with me. Okay, cool. So I'll go ahead and do... Where's that spell? There it is. So what, is, is holding hands necessary for this? I mean, it's cool. <laughs> it's the most important part. Oh, I guess, no, we don't... We, we yeah. don't have to. I mean, I just no, thought, you know... I mean, it's fine. I mean, it, it works. I, I, I mean, this is your magic, so I, I don't know. Fit. I mean, okay, well, you know, we, I'll just, we'll just try without. We'll try without this time, no. and if it doesn't work, maybe we have to hold hands next time. Yeah. But don't give yeah, me any can... ideas from that. I mean, it's not like anything <laughs> means anything. We can, we can always try it again, holding hands later, you know, see if it helps. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, we'll just see. And if, and if neither works, then you can start with a back rub, maybe the back, maybe the back rub. Will... <laughs> <laughs> All is better safe than sorry. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. Oh, I love that. Okay, so um, with Dispel Magic, um, choose one creature, object, or magical effect within range. Any spell of third level or lower on the target ends. For each spell of fourth level or higher on the target, make an ability check using your spellcasting ability. The DC equals 10 plus the spell's level. On a successful check, the spell ends. I would imagine it's going to be a pretty high difficulty, um, but my spell modifier is a plus five so we can give it a shot go for it why don't you make that roll okie dokie um so i got a 16 okay um with a 16 um as you cast dispel magic you can sense that there are multiple um magical effects on Roos. um is there anyone in particular that you would like to get rid of besides the cursed swords um, no, just, I think just focusing on kind of the evil influence of the curses, like just the cursed swords. Are you able to put a, a love curse on him instead? <laughs> um, that's Wait, a blessing, love potion dude. number nine? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. That's a healing potion. <laughs> Shut up, leave oh, me alone. Oh, Saving it for later. Um... As you cast this spell, you you feel like you really have a good grasp of this spell, and you can even sense some of these different these different auras around Roost. You even sense that you could probably, at least for a a minute or two, snap away the glamoured effect on his studded leather if you wanted to. It would probably reappear uh, eventually, but you can't. Your spell can't grasp the swords. It's like it's like they're not magical at all. They Got just, it. they seem mundane. Okay. I'll, I'll, after a moment, you know, I imagine Ebby kind of has his hands kind of held kind of up. Um, <laughs> kind of held by Roos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, softly caressing the back of his hand. Casually. He's, he's holding them up and they're glowing and he's moving them up and down in an hourglass shape in the air in front of them. <laughs> Um, and, and after a while he's like he stops and, and he says that's strange I can sense other magical effects but when it comes to the swords it's like they're not there it's like it's like the lens that I'm trying to see them through can't see them I don't know if that makes any sense but I think this might be beyond my ability well, we can always, you know, try again holding hands tomorrow. 
Like if you need to rest before we try again. Well, I don't know that that'll change anything, but I guess we could give it a shot. You know, if well, you're I into just, that. I mean, I, I yeah, I don't, thing. Yeah, you know, I am in a different area code, so I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's oh, fine. God. It's fine. I'll uh Yeah, I haven't opened up to everybody too much about this, but I've been uh been struggling. I've got this this pain in the back of my head. I the longer I don't touch these swords, the the more it hurts and I'm I'm uh I'm really trying to distance myself from them. Bruce, you should be wary of those. I mean, obviously you can feel that there's something off when it comes to the swords if I could share something with you a few years ago when I was to the north wandering about somewhere in the icy tundra I I had my visitation with Lord Moshe Um, he came to me and that's how Amarok came to me as well as a few other uh, abilities if you will but in in being connected with the Lord of Nature, I learned a few things, and Amarok has explained some things to me as well. These deities, they are to be held at arm's length. They're not all good. They're not all evil. They just are. They're just forces that exist in in the ether. And too much of any one of those forces can drive someone crazy could drive you insane it could consume you and destroy you even if that lord or lady that you worship were Erdos or somebody that we perceive as being good um, their their overbearance if you will can be calamitous if you allow it in just tread carefully yeah, that's that's my plan. I'm uh I was never really a religious person. I I don't know, it all became real to me when we met <laughs> Lord Laramie, but I I guess I threw caution to the wind and I tried to use his swords or that was the plan at least to avenge his death on Iramiel. But I I bit off more than I can chew. I can't I can't even hold these swords and keep my my wits about me I lose myself and I and I I can't trust myself with them around you guys well it is good that you're aware of it and that you've brought it at least to my attention does anyone else yet know I, I think Mr. Pine suspects what's happening um maybe Nari too well <laughs> Nari's probably heard the rumors of what happened in uh, Tabory a couple years ago I I I accidentally killed a guy in a duel. Anyway, long story. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm trying to put this stuff behind me. Understood. And it's not for me to know the details. Well, let's let's make this a priority for your sake as well as for everyone else's. Perhaps it would be a good start to find some suitable replacements. Yeah, well, I, I honestly, I, I don't need weapons. Um... My my friend that oh, you can see Oh, because you're just so badass. You don't even need them, huh? Is that just... No. You're just 
<laughs> I am a weapon. I don't need weapons in my hands. No, my imaginary friend that you guys can see occasionally, he ha- he gives me um, those chakram, or that chakram to throw. Ah, yes. Well, yes, that I do recall that. So that's fair. <laughs> well, thanks, Abby. I, I appreciate it. I apologize that I couldn't be of greater assistance. No, it's it's good to just get it off my chest. Well, for what it's worth, I understand, at, at least to a small degree, I think, what you might be going through. Uh, it's the connection I have formed, much like your connection that you have now unwittingly gotten involved with with Lord, with Lord Laramie, I have my connection with Lord Moshe, and, well, let's hope that uh, that it doesn't go too far. <laughs> yeah, I uh, kind of feeling nervous about these old lords and ladies. I don't know. I I've recently been trying. I, nobody worships her, but I've been trying to reach out to Lady Jaffa. Something about about her concept. It just kind of clicks with me. Um, but now I'm kind of nervous to actually make contact with her. <laughs> well, I imagine that whatever you, if you do get contact with her, it will be uh, interesting to say the least. Yeah. I feel like, and I don't know the lords and ladies as intimately as certain clerics or priests and priestesses might, but she definitely seems to be an agent of, of chaos and randomness. Um, you know, that's that's the space that she dwells in and so yeah. it could be very interesting but it also could provide um it could provide the answer when you look at at nature itself right we look around us in the natural world there is an element of the lords and ladies of various sorts that show up of aggression of healing of randomness and luck they're all here kind of co-mingling together to create this world and what's interesting is that even amidst the random, even amidst complete chaos, you will find these perfect seeming anomalies that will arise. It's just a fact of chaos. And it very well could be that if luck favors you, that a perfect anomaly could coalesce with you and might solve a lot of concerns or problems that you might feel that you're facing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just... Her whole concept of bad luck and and inevitability. I, I just want to know where she stood on the whole subject. If she if she was going to stand by, I, I just I just have some questions I want to ask her. That's a a very valid pursuit. Well, best of luck on that. And if it might sound a bit strange, best of luck. <laughs> Or best of bad luck? I don't know. I don't think bad <laughs> luck's the right word, but uh, good things and bad things happen to everybody. Well, that is very true. Anyway. Well, for what it's worth, Roos, I'm glad to reconnect with you. It has been it has been good to to see you all again, to be to be fighting alongside one another. Yeah, yeah. It it has been good to get back as a group together. Um <laughs> I actually missed it a lot. And I know we didn't really spend a lot of time together. What, three months, four months? But I I really cherish those days. Likewise, I feel the same. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and go over here now. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll see you later. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> oh, yeah, Evie wanted to do one, one more thing, right? Go into that grove. Yeah, if he could, he just wanted to kind of go and just not. He didn't really have any intention. It's not like he's going to go pray or anything like that. But mm-hmm. he just feels drawn to it. Last time he was there, um, he spent a good chunk of time casting plant growth as a ritual, mm-hmm. and it like brought kind of enhanced growth to the entire area for like an entire year, I think is what the spell says. Yeah. Yeah. Which I still have that inspiration, Paul, and I have not forgotten about <laughs> it. I'm just waiting for the opportune <laughs> moment. Okay. To actually All use right. that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm just going to kind of go there and just kind of see what things look like. Yeah. As you go into the Grove, the Grove looks pretty similar to um, the way it looked before. Um, except for when you're here before, I think the trees were, I mean, they were evergreen trees, but there's a, a couple of deciduous trees that are uh, still kind of in this bright blossoming phase of, uh, of spring. And as you wind your way through the trees towards that clearing that you know exists in the middle of this, of this grove, uh, you come to that clearing and you can see this large fire pit and there are five thrones or seats that are um, immaculately carved that sit around this fire pit. And all of the seats are empty except for one. The one chair at the head of the fire pit. And in that chair, you see one of these elders that you had seen five years ago, covered up, shrouded, um, wearing furs and blankets and so covered you can tell that they're frail you can tell that the antlers are massive um, on this elder but you can also tell that this elder is now well I mean for lack of a better word stone this elder looks like a statue Um, A stone-carved statue of one of these elders is sitting in that throne. And the other four seats are empty. And one more thing. The fire pit is cold. Interesting. Okay. Um, Ebby will slowly kind of walk up to to the statue and... He's going to kind of gently touch it and and just say quietly, salutations, ancient one. And um, just kind of look around the grove for a moment. Could I do like an investigation check? You sure can. I don't know that there's anything to, to be investigated, but just to kind of look around and see if there's anything that jumps out at him. Sure thing. Abby got a 16 on investigation. A 16? Um, well, I mean... What is there to notice? You notice that this figure here in the um, seat appears to be a either an incredibly well-carved statue or this being, this elder, has literally turned to stone. Um, you can see that there are still some remnants of your plant growth here in this grove. You can see little clusters of wildflowers. You can see um, that uh, these trees in this grove seem more vibrant and healthy than they did when you were here before. And as you're looking around, you get the distinct impression that the plant growth on the statue of Lord Moshe, some of it is due to your 
spell that you cast five years ago. Got it. Cool. I mean, that that's it for me. I think I'll okay. bow to the statue, actually, and then I will walk out. With your 16 investigation, as you turn to leave, you quickly turn back to look at the statue and then shake your head and think, no, that was just my imagination. But you could have sworn that you heard the slightest little intake of breath. Just, it may have just been the wind blowing through the trees. Hmm. After all of your guys' uh, adventures here in Woodbridge, as you have talked and as you've explored and as you've hired a guy to combine two weapons, that kind of thing, you guys all find yourself in Tazar's house as night falls. Can I say something really quick, Paul? No. I, I know that that is not how forging swords works in real life. That's not real world logic. You can't take two swords and combine them together, but it's totally video game logic. It is. You're exactly right. It's you put two swords together. You take a magic hammer. You hit them once or twice, and then they're together. That's that's how it works. And it costs a thousand gold. And it costs a thousand <laughs> gold. Exactly. <laughs> See you under. You get it. You get it. Okay. Um, you guys are all in Tazara's house. You can see his little um, his setup where he has all of his paints and his needles. Um, and actually, as you guys have been talking and and eating a meal. Um, the Ripper Birds have come up a couple of times now, so you guys now, everybody's aware that there's this uh, group of Ripper Birds that have moved towards uh, closer into Woodbridge. But you get to talking, and um, as you are um, as you are there in Tazar's house, a uh, eventually a Tall Heart Woman comes in. Tazar introduces this Tall Heart Woman as uh, Katona, as this is his living canvas, which... Um, you can see Tikris is there as well, the older brother. And he kind of, you can see he gets a little uncomfortable at that, but he rolls with it. He doesn't say anything. Uh, you can tell that this is a big breach of Stormfist-like tradition. But uh, as you guys are talking there, Tazar explains to you that this was who he felt the connection to. And uh, Katona was willing to be that living Candace. Um so yeah, as you guys are talking, Katona's in here and you can see that she's got some tattoos on her body. Um, and um, Tazar asks, would any of you care for uh, a tattoo of your own? I've been working on my skills and I think I think I might have something something in me for you if you if you're interested. I mean, my skin is a little, you know, thin and wrinkly and kind of stretchy and so if you can <laughs> if you can make it work, I mean, I'd love to to try one, yes. It's the best time to get a tattoo. I was thinking of getting one like on my lower back, like really low on my back. Ooh, <laughs> can I get one as well that matches? <laughs> a butterfly, hopefully. Well, see, I was thinking the left buttock. <laughs> oh, and I could get my right hip joint. <laughs> as you say the left buttock, um, make, a, uh, make a perception check. That, that was that was not in no, character. No, as you say that, make a perception check. <laughs> just Mr. Pine? No, everybody can make a perception check. You guys oh, are just no, going to perceive you guys this. Have, you guys have all been drinking a little bit. You guys are all kind of just enjoying each other's company. Uh, that's a 12. Roos got an 18. Abby got a 10. Dari got a 23. 
Okay, so Nari and Roos, as uh, as Mr. Pine says, uh, I was thinking of my left buttock. You can see that um, Katona and um, Tazar both quickly share a glance and then um, look back at, at you guys. Um, so Tazar then explains to Pine, um, I'd be more than happy to tattoo you. Um, usually I let the needle dictate where it will be. If you're okay with that. So like, I have to be like totally naked so that it's like ready to go, whatever. I tell you what, if you start with just your shirt off, if it's somewhere else, I don't have to do it. I'm old. Nobody's going to see this anymore until we go to the baths. And even then, if they're <laughs> looking, it's on them. We're on the airship. I mean, we've seen you walk around at night. <laughs> well, I let the breeze, you know, sometimes it's just, <laughs> it's nice to feel the breeze, but usually it's just, you know, sweaty and clammy. Well, oh my I'm gosh. not complaining. I just like, at what age can I start doing that and it not be awkward? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd be fine if you did it right now. I can think of some other people, some other people on the ship who might be okay with that too. Awkwardness is a state of mind. It's not an age thing. <laughs> All right, Mr. Pine, you take off your shirt and you sit on the bench as uh, as Tazar ties a blindfold over his eyes. And he then puts his hand on your skin. He starts up on one shoulder. He kind of drape, uh, traces a finger across your back. And then he settles in somewhere kind of um, underneath, like on the rib cage there on the right side, uh, kind of under your armpit. And he starts getting to work. And he works on you for um, a half an hour or so. And then he sits back and he says, I think, I think I'm done. And he takes the blindfold off and uh, pulls up a, a little, like a, a little hand mirror to show you. And um, Pine, underneath your armpit, you see that he has tattooed a flower, um, like a, uh, like a four petaled flower with two crossed sabers over the top of it. Hmm. Thank, thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah. Of course. I, I have no insight into what it means. But oftentimes when I tattoo for somebody, as opposed to on my canvas, the person I tattoo for tends to find the meaning better than I can. Flower with petals is very meaningful to me. And the cross sabers, I don't know what it means, but... Honestly, I'm I'm a little uh, nervous to find out. He puts his hand on your knee and he says, "Well, if the Ripper birds don't kill you, then I'm sure you'll find out someday." Oh, wait! And you all share a big laugh. <laughs> 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 all right. Um, he's asked anybody else. Would anybody else care to uh, to have their fortune done? I'd be interested. Okay. Um, you sit down on the bench and he again traces his fingers kind of over your body and then he finds a place on your left peck and he gets to work. And again, after about a half an hour, he steps back, pulls his blindfold off and uh, you look down and on your chest, you can see that there is a scale, you know, like with the two dishes on either side, uh, one of those balancing scales. Um, however, both of the dishes have a sword piercing down through them and then stuck in the ground, pinning the scale in place. Mm. 
I mean, I don't have any idea what that could mean. <laughs> I, I awkwardly... can't imagine what's going on here. <sighs> he says, sister, would you care for one more? No, no, honestly, I think I've um, received enough prophecy for one one lifetime. He he winks at you, says, I, I get it. And you, my metal friend, would you care to see if I can even do anything uh, for you? <laughs> I didn't think, uh, I didn't think it applied to me, but you're welcome to have a go at it, I guess. Ebby, you sit down at the bench and he pulls out a needle and he has the black ink ready to go. And he starts, he ties his, his uh, blindfold on, and then he starts uh, feeling over your body. And anyone who's watching sees him find a spot kind of on your back between your shoulder blades uh, where he, he finds a spot. Then he reaches down and he moves the black ink away and he grabs green ink. And he starts to tattoo between your shoulder blades. And as he is tattooing, it shouldn't work on your metal skin. And somehow it does. There's something magical about this art of tattoo that he is doing. And after a half an hour, he's done. And he pulls the blindfold off and he's looking at it. And before he even shows you at the mirror, he says, oh, that's interesting. Look, it's a, a green eye that's been broken into pieces with Looks like one piece here is dislodged and it's a little bit further away than, than the rest of the pieces. Hmm, interesting. And that's where we're going to stop for tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Hey guys, that was a fun one. It's fun getting to talk to each other in character. I miss that. Yeah. It's been a while. It's Mm -hmm. it's fun. Getting tattoos that you had no idea what they're going to be in advance is working out a lot better for us than it did for those people in that British reality show where their friends got to pick their tattoos. Oh man, that <laughs> oh show was gosh. painful to watch. <laughs> oh, well that's like uh, on uh, Impractical Jokers, uh, Sal, I think, um, he has a tattoo of Jaden Smith on his thigh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's almost as cool as Steve-O's tattoo on his back. That's a big picture of him doing thumbs up. It says, yeah, dude, I rock. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, hey, this was a fun one. Hey, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun tonight. Um, if you like what we're doing, go leave us a rating and review. Go tell your friends, and um, you know, we look forward to moving this story forward. And until we get together next time, come join us on Discord. Yeah, um, we're on there a lot, answering questions and um, just chit chatting. Uh, people have been posting some spoilers and some memes on there. It's been a really good time. But until we get together next time, we hope you have. A great time.